You're listening to Ace Comicals. I'm Greg, and today I'm joined by Rahul. Let's go. Everybody and welcome to yet another episode of Ace Comicals. Um, this is the prelude to the hundredth episode of Ace Comicals. So this is like the event tie-in book, um, like the Ace Comicals handbook prelude to one hundred, etc., etc. Thing because uh, we wanted to keep this unnumbered because we couldn't get the full the full crew here. Um, <laughs> we are sans Leon today, and I wanted Leon. I want to. I want an episode one hundred to have all of us on it. So this is. And this, this is, is just like a, a, a contrivance. It's a contrivance yeah. so that we can we can have episode 100 of all of this. Like it's, yeah, it's fine. exactly. Like yeah. we're yeah. not official. We're not broadcasting on television. Nobody's going to no. hold us to it. It's no. cool. <laughs> <laughs> we'll call it 99B or something. It's right. I'm doing this despite myself. Uh, <laughs> but yes, welcome to the Ace Comicals prelude to 100. So uh, today it is just me and Rahul. Hello, everybody. Yes. And uh, so, um, what have we been up to for the past two weeks? Well, I'll tell you what I have done. I've finished Bly Manor, finally. Oh, nice. Um, and I I mean, I said this last time, but I like it way better than uh, Hill House. It's, it's the better of the two by far. And it just has so much more going for it. And I just love, like, I love where it goes and what it does. And can I, I don't know how hard it is to say these things without, because there's things that I would love to, like, say that i love about it but i don't know if that's going to spoil it for people that haven't yet watched it all the way through but like overall because i remember yeah so you hinted at how you didn't like the haunting of hill house that much or at least initially and one of the big things for you is you wanted to see what the monster was and that's like a recurring thing that you and i sometimes clash on did yes you, did you find that was more satisfying in this one yes <laughs> cool <laughs> and like i could yeah i can see why i i i just like getting a little bit of context and a little bit of like why this is how it is in the first place for a lot of things mm. i've always been like that even like when i was a young child ingesting mm. fiction and things like that like when i when I, I i read stories i want to know how such a thing came into being and I'm less invested in how it interacts with the people it, that come into it now. I'm more interested in what interaction caused it in the first place, like where it all stemmed from. Hmm. Yeah. So I'm I'm more for the like the mythology side of things than I am for how these things affect people in the world now. Yeah. And, that's, and that, yeah. That's fair enough, and I can see how Blind Man is satisfied that better than. Oh Hill yeah, House big, style. Um, big style. It's also interesting you say that because you know, relating to a book we're gonna talk about a little bit later. Um, well, we'll reveal it now, Bloodborne, and like how that is very oblique in its storytelling, at least in the game, and then how it compares to the comic. Because you've not played the game, but you've only read the first few issues of the comic, and I'm yes. curious to see how you feel about that. But like, so go yes. going back to Bly Manor, um, yeah, I feel like the horror was better in The Haunting of Hill House. I thought that was a, a scarier show 
um, in a lot of ways. I think just it represented a, a lot more, like it, it got a bit more creative with the jump scares and the general like, you know, things hiding in the background yeah. and creeping you out and stuff. And I like I do love where Bly Manor went. I think the the story it's telling and like using horror as a vehicle for like haunting of hill house was a vehicle for talking about different types of um like mental conditions and depression and such <clears throat> and i think bly manor the the social commentary it's making with its horror is really interesting and really well put together and like i really like all the interactions between the characters but i think as a <clears throat> as a thing to watch during halloween i think it fell a little bit flat for me like it just it yeah. basically just wasn't scary enough for me and like the that's key... not a, yeah, it's not yeah. a criticism against the show. I think it's a really good show, but just yeah. it's yeah, it doesn't have the 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 kind of like the scare factor, if you will. Like, so mm. it's scary in a different way, and it's a creeping scare. It's the kind of scare that doesn't make you jump or doesn't get you straight away while you're watching it. It doesn't get inside your head in that way. Well, it does. It gets inside your head, but you don't even feel it. It burrows in. Yeah. And then it sets itself up and it's the kind of thing that keeps you awake at night because it's, it's got like this kind of, um, so the big, the big thing around Bly Manor is loss and explore, exploring loss through the idea of this haunting and, and, and the way in which certain things manifest themselves in the, in the story. And what the difference is, I actually liked the horror in Bly Manor better. This is where I'm going to disagree with you. Huh. What the, okay. What the difference is between the two is that with Bly Manor, it's kind of like this impending dread. You are in mm. this bubble of dread and you cannot escape. And it's actually more frightening in that way, in the way that it burrows into your mind and sits there and slowly kind of like, like it slowly releases its venom. Yeah, like it takes root from the beginning. Yeah, and like and, yeah, and I, then, I get that. And but I think it's different yeah. sensibilities because I think also from a a filmmaking point of view, I think Hill House had a lot more. I don't. I feel like it it went in more creative directions in terms of like the cinematography and you know the way that it messes with your yeah. your what it shows you in terms of the space of the house, which Blind Manor mm. doesn't really do. That it, it has more like temporal stuff as opposed to spatial stuff that it's messing with. And like yeah, yeah it depends what works for you, I guess. Yeah, and it, it just it just has that kind of like, uh, it, it, that that kind of, this is how I described it last episode when I was talking to Leon about this. It has that mm. kind of um, the difference between like two subgenres of metal again. I'm gonna do that because this is what I did last <laughs> time, like funeral doom and um, just like straight up what you would what i would call straight up doom metal and then funeral doom which is is kind of like it, it has that that trudge about it that carrying a coffin like being a pallbearer type thing and this this has that kind of like it i don't know it just it just feels like it smells like the inside of a church <laughs> that's really that's, interesting yeah that's a really good way to put that actually like yeah it does and, have and, more of a funereal yeah. trudging towards an inevitable conclusion yes kind of thing. and that's yeah, the dread yeah. and mm. the, the winter of it all like the fact that it just feels like bare trees and mm. cold stone and and yeah this is this is what i like it feels like the end it actually mm. feels like the end and that's that's what I liked about it more, and I think what I enjoyed more on a horror level and a ghost story level than 
what I enjoyed about Hill House. Go figure. But yeah, that's <laughs> that's where I sit on that one. Cool. Um, what else have I been doing? Oh, I've been. Uh, I restarted Pokemon Crystal, <laughs> the Game Boy Color. Nice. <laughs> and we're we're in lockdown 2.0 now um in britain so all the non-essential shops have closed again but i think this time they're a little bit more prepared for it and um i know at least in my town uh, my comic shop are doing a click and collect service or delivery hmm. so um they can operate safely in that way and uh, you are still able to go out and get your comics. And I think a lot of comic shops across the UK might be doing things like that now. So check with your LCS, see what they've got going. Um, please don't jump straight to Amazon if you want to order some books. Hmm. Check your LCS first because if they're doing the click and collect and if they're doing the delivery, um, order from them because they need your money more. And we need to keep these places going. So yeah, I agree. and that, that goes for all local businesses, you know? Hmm. so yeah um, like, it is funny how i think in the first couple of weeks of lockdown one i think a bunch of us who had like amazon prime subscriptions and stuff we went kind of hard on like buying home comforts for ourselves and getting them delivered instantly and this and that and like i noticed very quickly i dropped off of that and i yeah. basically haven't used my amazon prime for months now um which i yeah I, like with a with a little glimmer of pride i think like i, I realized how little i need it and I'd rather, like, I've got all this extra time in some way, so I'd rather go out of my way, prepare myself, like, get, you know, get kitted out to be safe to go out and collect stuff on my own, even if yes. it takes a little bit longer or, you know, pick it up from somewhere. Like, it's just, it just makes more sense. I don't need that level of convenience. Uh, no, yeah, I mean, like, I... Yeah, quarantine has really taught us that, I think, in some ways. Yeah, I, I, I have been guilty of abusing Amazon, like my Amazon Prime membership, and I... You know, I have abused it this year. I have. But it, it comes and goes, and, right? Like, yeah. what, what kind of things have you been buying? Uh, all sorts of stuff from household items like shower curtains to mm. um, vinyl records that I pre-ordered because I didn't know if I'd be able to get them in. You know, it's just that kind yeah. of stuff. Mm. Like, it, it's just anything from one end of the scale to the other, from from stuff that I actually needed for the house to things that I wanted, you know? Mm. Um, and it's just, it's, I have abused it this year and I need to, I need to sort myself. I've been chastising myself about it actually. <laughs> and I need to sort myself out with it really. So, um, but yeah, I've also been using the streaming service. So yeah, I mean, we still yeah. have, we've, we've paid for prime, so we still have it. So I haven't actually yeah. watched that much on Amazon prime really, apart from the Borat film and, uh, I'm sure there's a few others. Yeah. I watched Borat. Borat right. too. It's all, all right. right, yeah. Yeah, it's all right. I think I think there's two Sasha Baron Cohen films that I've watched recently. There's that, and I think the other one is it the Chicago Seven. Yeah, I think it's yeah. called literally called the Chicago Seven. Yeah, mm. um, that's the better film. Watch that. <laughs> I'm I'm not surprised by that. <laughs> I haven't actually watched the Chicago Seven yet, but I, it's on my list. It's mm. absolutely fantastic. Okay. Um, I loved it. It's brilliant, and Sasha Baron Cohen is absolutely fantastic in that film. Mm. And I don't know. This is what really irritates me sometimes is about like he's such he's so talented right and and i'm not mm. saying that he's not talented in borat too but i just feel like he could he he can he can do these these other roles these more serious roles and and they are he's like really shines when he does do them and i, I feel like it's he needs to do more of that stuff sometimes <laughs> i don't know <laughs> i mean to be fair it's been what 
13, 14 years since the last Borat film. Like, he, I, he's not been in the public consciousness as that character or as, like, Bruno yeah. or whatever. Like, well, no, he that, did that, he did that lately, Brothers uh, Grimsby thing. <laughs> that was a ridiculous movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's surprisingly <laughs> funny. But, like, I get what you mean. Like, he's a really good character actor as well. And yeah. Yeah, it'd be nice to see him in more more yeah. serious dramas, I guess, because he does have that thespian streak. I mean. But just I don't know. have him in more more things where he gets to like more historical like I, I don't necessarily need like serious like dramas i need like more historical things like where they make films mm. out of actual historical, like the chicago 7 film right mm. um I'd, I'd love to see more of that sort of stuff it's a really interesting film you should you should get on it because it's great um okay. we'll do. and it's very relevant actually for for the times that we're in mm. um past two weeks what what was the other big thing that happened over in the u.s what was that I Something know, huge happened, didn't it? Something very dramatic happened last night, which is why I'm very yeah. tired today. <laughs> yeah. Was it, is it? Did Orange get ejected? I think Orange Orange was <laughs> sus for four years. <laughs> he got ejected. Like, yeah. Yeah. So Donald Trump has. Uh, well. <laughs> yeah. What has he done? What has Donald Trump yeah. done? What he, for the next? I don't know. Because he's, he's not still left the gonna, building. He's, he's going to be in office until January, but he's gone now he's he's been he's he he's lost his power basically is what's happening like the, the the world has kind of like decided that they're not gonna well the world america has decided they're not gonna put up with his idiocy any longer and they have um they've elected a new president who will take over in january and that is joe biden and uh, we're all very happy about that worldwide. Um, i never thought i would see the day that i would be in the ending of return of the jedi but here i am <laughs> So <laughs> I'm going to be careful not to be making too many sweeping remarks. And I've, we also talked about this off-cast, like how I'm I'm going to be slower to enthusiasm, I think. Yeah. Although um, the reason I stayed up late last night was to listen to Kamala's and... Uh, yeah, to their speeches in Delaware. And, like, it was <laughs> it, admittedly such a breath of fresh air to, like, not be on the edge of my seat listening to, yeah. you know, listening to someone in such high-status speak. <laughs> like not having to brace myself to hear something awful and i think That's it was it. a it was yeah. a very like uplifting and um like generally love and empathy focused message which yeah. uh like comes with its own trappings i guess because you know there is still a lot of work to be done this isn't the end this is the beginning of all the effort that needs to be made but uh it's nice to just hear somebody talk about you know yeah. unification and and building a better future instead of it being all veiled or or explicit like just yeah. misery and awfulness so yeah yeah it, it's just it's just this is what this is why i'm so enthusiastic about it because it's just something nice in 2020 you know it's a step in the right direction for once <laughs> mm. um and um i'm as excited as i am about the fact that we're getting a democrat president in america joe biden i i'm actually more excited about kamala harris because I think I think she's she's going to be the driving force. Well, I feel like she's going to be more of a driving force than him, but we'll see. Um. So yeah, other than that, um, that I restarted Pokemon Crystal. I've been sat playing a <laughs> Game Boy Color game where I replaced the battery in it because it oh, had okay. like a <laughs> yeah. So so you know how they have like the internal battery that keeps your mm, save data. Yeah. I took yeah. the battery out and put a new battery in. Okay. Because my save data was gone. So yeah, that's that's been it. Oh, uh, catching up on Batman comics, um, recent developments in Detective Comics. This new villain called the Mirror that, like, I can't. 
it just i don't know what just i just wanted to say briefly about this actually because the mm. the the way they do the, the like so so in in the current detective comics run um there is a new villain on the block he is called the mirror and uh, his whole thing is that he wants to be a reflection of society and he thinks that people shouldn't he wants to take down the masks in gotham and he wants to give gotham back to the people um so this is that's kind of like his line kind of a shtick that's the impression i get um but he is in a fully reflective outfit <laughs> And they draw it fully reflective. Mm. So this is this is like I think I opened that that comic and it just highlighted to me the the sheer amount of work that goes into making a comic and the sheer amount of like painstaking work that must go into drawing a fully reflective character panel after panel and reflecting what's opposite him off panel. And, and knowing what angle to do that at and how to do that correctly and everything else. And just, just the, the mind-boggling maths and things that would keep you up late at night snapping pencils out of pure rage. Like, <laughs> I don't know why. It just, it's just, it just had that effect on me. I don't know. And I think I was telling you guys about it on WhatsApp, wasn't I? Yeah. Yeah, yeah like you send us some samples. and it, like, you, call him a, you call the artist masochist for, like... <laughs> Or I guess the writer, a mass, yeah. or a sadist for yeah. making yeah. the artist have to do this. The writer's um, a sadist. The artist's a masochist, yeah. and the colorist forgot the the colorist forgot the safe word. It's funny. It's it's a shame Leon's not here for this conversation because it. The first thing it made me think of was like latest video game technology advancements yeah. and like dynamic ray tracing and stuff and like how the different techniques and the different artistry required to emulate like effective yeah. reflections in a gameplay model versus. Yeah like realistically tracing rays of light and like mm. yeah i wonder i wonder how i'd like to see the artist's sort of method for it because surely they, they they must be able to cheat in some ways like there's no need for it to be like a realistic approximation of what's happening in the background but like from the few examples you showed me it did look quite like it felt in in the frame it felt really cool um yeah yeah it'd be I, nice I to see it behind just, the scenes it just had that that effect on me um and that's just yeah it, it made me think about the way comics are made a little more than i usually do mm. when i'm reading comics and things like that and i just i got very excited about it mm. it um, does look very but, cool yeah it is it is cool and I'm, I'm looking forward to see developments with that i'm looking forward to see some dynamic fight scenes including that character <laughs> like like how are they going to handle that you know it's just like it just it just feels like it's going to be something incredible when we actually do get to see it. Hmm. Um, also, I just wanted to quickly shout out, there was something we talked about on a previous episode. We talked about, uh, last episode, in fact, we talked about um, Duke Howard Montague's book, um, Love on the Isle of Dogs. Hmm. Um, well, currently she has a Kickstarter live for a sequel to that called Breakfast in Shoreditch. Um, which is a full color follow-up to Love on the Isle of Dogs, which um, if you watch the Kickstarter video, it looks, it looks incredible. It looks very exciting indeed. And um, I am really interested to see um, what comes out of this and where this goes. And I, I really, really want to, you know, I really want to push this work because it's, it's really great work. And if you listen to what we said about Love on the Isle of Dogs, and this is going to be in a similar vein, similarly experimental and 
it it's just something that I'm I'm fairly interested in. I think you guys should keep an eye on. And if if you if it is your thing, maybe you should go back it on Kickstarter. Um, if you feel like it's your thing, uh, but yeah, it's um, it's looking great, and um, it's yeah, go check that out. Um, so are we moving on to this week's comics now, Ray? Uh, we can do. I'm just I'm trying to think if there's anything else I've done in the last couple of weeks. It's been a couple of episodes since I've been on. Um, the only yeah, the only big thing is uh, played a lot of Bloodborne, which we can talk about later because we're going to talk about the comic. Um, it's funny you talk about playing Pokemon Crystal because I picked up Pokemon Emerald uh, the other week. Yeah, uh, just because I found my old Nintendo DS Lite and a bunch of my old Game Boy Advance games, so I was playing Game Boy Advance. And like, not to get too deep into it, but I <laughs> like speaking of Amazon and like all the little rabbit holes you can get with wanting to just purchase stuff to keep yourself occupied. Like the big thing that I, the few the of the few things that I bought off Amazon lately, some of them were like um gundams and like you know handicraft sort of projects that you can't really get easily available anywhere else like things like uh light bulbs and tape and stuff that i could have got off amazon prime i've been going to the shops and buying them yeah. as safely as possible yeah um, but yeah so one of the things that i really like i have i've had to really resist buying is like uh, a new ips screen for my game boy sp and a new shell because it's just something that I want to do. Like I want, I, I when I was a, a kid, I bought a Game Boy SP Tribal Edition, which I'm really not proud of. Ugh. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think we've ribbed you about this before. You have, you have. Yeah. And yeah. what I want to do is un like I want to erase the mistakes of my past and buy a nice new like a new shell for it. And at the same time, while I'm doing that, I could put a like a bright IPS screen into it and stuff. So that's. One of the things I almost pulled the trigger on, and then I actually found my Nintendo DS Lite, and I thought, you know what, this does the same job. Like, yeah. it's more comfortable than the SP, and it has a nice screen on it, and I don't need to do anything. I don't need to spend any more money, so I've been doing you know that. But yeah, I've been playing a lot of um, game. Uh, sorry, Pokemon Emerald and yeah. the what was it, uh, Astro Boy game, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I've been when I've been playing. Um pokemon crystal i've been doing it between my sp and my game boy player on my gamecube oh cool so i've got the game boy player add-on for the gamecube and it plays game boy color games so oh, nice. i've just been sat with it on the tv which is quite cool to do actually so yeah mm. um but yeah i mean like I'm, I'm all down for making the backlight brighter in the sp because it does need yeah. that and but like the, what you could do you know you could just like clear clean off the tribal decal and then spray paint it I could, but I kind of, I, I never got to have like the old school Game Boy when I was a kid, um, or even a Game yeah. Boy Pocket or a Color or anything. And I always really coveted like the the see through purple one. So oh, what so I was you thinking, wanted to reshell it in a Game Boy, an actual like no, it would still, Game Boy it, shell. It would still be an SP, um, but it would be with yeah. the the, the see through purple and maybe some like yellow or grey buttons oh, or something. Like nice, there's nice. there's a couple of different uh, Etsy yeah. pages or eBay pages you can um, customize them on. And it was nice. still it would still have to be me taking it apart and putting it together and stuff and yeah that's that that's a really project cool. yeah yeah it sounds fun a uh, project for the future because I've got all the yeah. like tools required for it so nice yeah yeah so this week's comics then mm-hmm. yes let's do it so um, this is what you all came here for so uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's uh, let's get on with this so I mean the first thing that we've got to talk about is a book called The Flood That Did Come that we were sent for review um, we were sent it by the um, the writer and artist A. Patrick Ray 
Um, and it is published by Avery Hill Publishing. Um, and I've actually been checking out like some of the stuff on the Avery Hill website. They have some like really interesting looking books, hmm. um, some really interesting looking comics, um, and it it looks like they've they've got a bunch of cool stuff there, like graphic novel things that I might explore in the future actually, because some of it like. I'm really vibing on some of the art that I'm looking at. So um, okay. I'm interested to get into that. But yeah, so mm. um, the flood that did come. So this um, is like a what I would describe as a brilliantly fun and satirical stab at good old British bureaucracy and the stark <laughs> disparity between the north and the south of England um, in the way that Parliament tends to treat the, the north versus the south of England in the in the way parliament tends to treat anywhere other in Britain that isn't around London or near enough to London hmm. um which is kind of like a something that you, I've noticed in the current crisis with covid-19 and something that I've noticed uh, at other times in my life when I've seen news coverage of things like floods and the way in which they portion out funding for flood defences and things like that in different parts of the UK and um, mm. just just generally specific things that have happened throughout the history of the United Kingdom where like England by kind of like virtue of the leadership of the UK has stomped over everything else like England there's like this this, this general hierarchy um, in the way that the parliament that's supposed to look after all of us, the, the government that's supposed to look after all of us as a unit, as Britain, treats different parts of the UK. Mm. And it grinds my gears. Um, and like with this current COVID crisis, there's been a bunch of that happening with different local lockdowns and the way funding's been portioned out and things like that. And what happened to Leicester, right? So the city, the city I live in, Leicester, we, we were kind of like forgotten. We were, we were put into lockdown with the rest of the UK and then we still had a higher infection rate, they were saying. So uh, mm. they kept us in lockdown longer and longer and longer. And they just, they just kind of left us there and they didn't give us anything extra to deal with it. They didn't like, it, it was, I don't know, it's, it's a, weird old, a weird old thing and a weird old way in which they've dealt with it. It, I agree. Like yeah, yeah. Uh, for listeners, like you, maybe you do or don't know. Like I'm also from Leicester. My family's in Leicester, and like the lack of communication about you know what what the rules were, what you're allowed to do, whether you're allowed to travel in, you know, to to be a carer for for people like like I am to my family in Leicester. Um, like what the restrictions were, what you know help and aid was being provided. None of it was clear. None of it. Um, has really been updated for months, really. Like, uh, before the second lockdown occurred, like, I was considering coming back, and I, I did, in fact, travel back to Leicester to, you know, to do some work and help my parents out. And, like, we did it as safely as possible, but I I tried to Google or, like, search for what, you know, what the rules were now and how they changed since the last time that I wanted to visit Leicester, which was, I can't even remember, but it was, like, months ago, multiple months ago. And, like, there's been so little update or, like, at the very least, I couldn't find a timeline of how things have progressed or changed or whatever. Like, it's just, yeah, it's like no man's land. And you were told four months ago that you're in a higher lockdown, what whatever that meant at the time, because we didn't have the tier system exactly. at that time. Yeah. Um, 
like yeah uh, like not to not to diverge too much away from this comic but like it does yeah it does bring to mind those kind of things where you know you you have these towns that just end up forgotten and then only given attention when there's some sort of you know bureaucratic or political gain to be had from it exactly and this book does that through the lens of flooding which is something that is a it's been it's been a, a it's been a huge problem in the UK for a while in certain areas, and um, certain parts of the UK tend to get more money to deal with flooding than other parts of the UK. Um, specifically, where this book is set, the home counties, places the southeast, the southeast, the, where this book is set, the home counties, where where London is and things like that, they they tend to get all the money thrown at them for flood defences. Um, all these kind of like posh new projects and things like that. And then like you've got places up in the north, like further north, northeast, where the flooding can be just as bad, just as catastrophic. And people are just kind of left to pick up the pieces afterwards. People's livelihoods get destroyed. And the government doesn't really seem to do as much to help up there as it does down there. You know, it's like, Mm. it's this disparity between north and south and the way the UK government works and this is this book is kind of like a a a vitriolic stab at that if you will um Mm -hmm. in the way that it talks about because this book the the story itself is set in the home counties um and what i'm gonna do is i'm just gonna get you the the blurb because i think that's probably the best way to open this so The year is 2036. The whole of Kingsby County has been flooded after several weeks of torrential rain. Only a few villages have escaped the flood. One of these is the village of Pennyworth, where Tom and Jenny live. When the the inhabitants of nearby Brook Falls arrive and attempt to lay claim to Pennyworth, a struggle ensues that places the residents of each village against each other in a battle of wills that threatens to change all their lives forever. Can Tom, Jenny and their friends persuade the new arrivals that a conflict can be avoided before all is swept away by the flood that did come? So it's kind of like um, it's it's set in like a kind of a dystopian future. And uh, we've got like... um, these little towns in the and these little villages in the the home counties in the southeast of England, and uh, they've got all these. You've got this one town that had all these high tech flood defences <laughs> that were supposed to be able to deal with the floods, but couldn't, and have been left wanting. And because they have, because they were the more important town historically, and because they have a historic claim to the the village next door, what they're going to do is they're going to move their entire population over there and erase the identity of the village next door, just because they, you know, they were the more important town and they still are, we're, you know, like we're more important than you kind of thing, because we're where the industry was, we're going to move up here and we're going to take your stuff kind of thing, hmm. um, which is kind of how the whole thing goes and, and kind of like how the story unfolds. And that's, that's kind of illustrating for me, the hierarchy in the UK of different parts of the UK and how, you know, it's treated with, and, you know, like this, these kind of like archaic laws and things that were put into place during the formation of the UK, some of them and things like that and how they still exist and how they still, people still abide by them and people still bring them into conversation when they want to talk about stuff. Like it brings to mind a story, um, from uh, something, uh, something that happened in the 1960s. Um, in 1962, one of the last Welsh only speaking communities, um, 
in, in the area where it was. This is the flooding of uh, Kapelselin. Uh, apologies if I've pronounced that wrong because my Welsh isn't brilliant. But it was a, a town in Wales that was flooded to provide a reservoir for Liverpool. And they flooded this town in 1962. And like after like an, a huge effort and of like protesting for this this town, uh, trying to keep and prevent the destruction of their homes, they were just kind of like told to just kind of basically move on and they were like evacuated and they flooded a town they flooded a whole town in wales to provide water for england wow i'd never heard that story that's yeah fascinating it's mad and this is okay you, have to look that up. you can yeah. understand now where i'm getting this stuff from in this book and how this 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 kind of what this book kind of like lashes out at and what this book kind of like speaks to mm. me how it speaks to me in that way i mean yeah you're nail on the head but i also think you're slightly putting in ink what I think is presented in pencil, or at least at the start in this comic. So, like, I, I want to just roll back a little bit and go to, like, I was initially kind of drawn away from this book because of the form of it, which we haven't really spoken about yet, but it's it's a very experimental sort of handmade style. With, it feels like it's um, basically made out of, like, immutable stamps, you know, like rubber stamps that have been carved out to represent, like, very simple geometric versions of... Uh, essentially like children's diagrams it kind of reminds me of like a corrupted railway children or famous five cover yeah. you know what i mean but like that is the entire book and it's all presented in like a couple of um you know like a handful of the primary colors and like sometimes they're over overlaid well, basically all blues and, and all reds and right? it's, it's it's the union and, jack <laughs> Yes, yeah, it's red, white, and blue. And, like, you've got a bunch of people represented in red and a bunch of people represented in blue, and we'll maybe get to that a bit later. But, like, I was initially taken away from it because I thought maybe it's a little too experimental for me, but I gave it a chance. And, like, it begins as what I was reading as a really blunt, thinly-veiled metaphor for privilege and, like, using the coming of a flood to represent maybe the bursting of many different types of bubbles, like, under the weight of themselves, like economic bubbles, environmental bubbles, like there's obviously an eco uh, ecological aspect yeah. to this or agricultural, which comes a bit later. And it's sort of, for the first 15 to 20 pages, it kind of plods along in this state for a little while and then suddenly bursts into like this really explicit dialogue about the lack of foresight on replacing jobs with automation or like the consequences of stressed agriculture and the, you know, the, the consequences of created industrial towns for housing uh, factory workers and stuff like that. And then... At that point, I was like, okay, this is doing more than I gave it credit for. And I started the book again. And, like, ultimately, it's a book about ignoring the state of the world around you and elitism and tribalism and, as you've mentioned, like, the bureaucracy. And, like, I think the flood can be read as very explicitly about flooding. And, like you said, this, this town in Wales that was literally flooded to make water for a bigger, more important, you know, in quotes, bigger, more important city. Um, but I also think, like, there's there's some softness happening at the edges where it can refer to a lot of different things. And what I really like is that it, it constantly flip-flops between being quite well, somewhat vague or like, you know, this um, broad sweeping metaphor for something bigger and then suddenly dives in occasionally to like be really explicit about what it's uh, railing against. And it's really interesting. Like it's a really disarming way of presenting something that clearly means uh like has a, has a lot of effect on patrick and like the reason he wrote it and i don't know i was quite i was quite taken yeah. with it overall um 
And like, because it essentially it focuses on, like you were saying, two different towns, which are like they represent the home counties, but they're fictional yeah. towns in a not too distant future. It basically could yeah. be now, you know. And it's about this town called Pennyworth, which is now flourishing under these harsh conditions of the flood, where its parent town of Brook Falls is sinking and, you know, being washed away. And the town of Brook Falls, or like a representative of Brook Falls, comes wielding legislature to reclaim the land of Pennyworth and, you know, hand-waving away the displacement of the people who have built a life there and have been made to be, you know, they, generations have been forced to build a life there as a consequence of the industry that was happening in Brook Falls to begin with. Like, they were moved there and located there because of the industry. And now they want to displace these people and, you know, because they're in a in a flourishing state and, like, are protected from the flood, be it water or other ecological or other economic disaster, they now have the resources to do that. But they want to... They come in with their pretty words saying, you know, we'll work to the benefit of all. But you, you know that it's bollocks, right? Yeah. Like, you know that it's bullshit and they just want to push people out because they want to lay claim to a thing that they think yes. they own because they're holding these papers saying, you know, actually, um, based on the paperwork from the time when the, the town was formed, we have the rights to this land and yeah. such and such. And like, it's, yeah, it's it's a really, it's kind of a painful read in some ways because like, it's, it's all of these arguments laid in order as starkly yeah. as they can be and like the, the like yeah. the grim hilarity of that but and, this is this yeah. is like the whole thing that i'm getting at with the couple selling thing is like mm. that was like that's that's just such a horrible thing to happen like they flood an entire town the own the last like full the last like welsh speaking place basically the last like welsh only speaking community and they just move them all on and flood it right um and it's the, it's a UK city going to the an English city going to the UK Parliament and saying to them, um, "Oh, um, can you can you let us flood this town, this small town in Wales, and displace all these people?" And then the UK Parliament just saying yes, even if Wales votes because but mm. the, like most of the Welsh members of Parliament, like thirty five out of thirty six Welsh members of Parliament voted against it. One of them didn't vote; he abstained or he or she abstained and it was passed hmm. and and it's just like so you're saying yes Wales says no but because you said yes and you're bigger you can just go ahead and do that and it's this hierarchy that it illustrates to me it's like you're hmm. saying um so like uh brook falls says yes pennyworth says no but because brook falls has a piece of paper saying they're bigger they get to just do whatever they want and it's 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 that that it illustrates to me and it's that it, it's it's kind of like for me this is what it's striking out against in it's kind of like because it, it's set up in this way that it is quite acerbic actually when you read it when like the writing mm. in it it's it's um it has it's got like this kind of like old children's book air to it before shooting off into diatribes describing the dystopian world dystopian world in the book like future automation technology and archaic politics and that fell that favor wealthier areas etc cetera, etc cetera. and just like how it's almost framed like you're reading like you mentioned like the famous five and things like that but it's almost framed as if you're you, you know like and tom said to jenny da 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 but like <laughs> 
but yeah, that's, yeah. that's what I mean. Like it flip flops between a but very I love like, how it does that. But then, but then Tom said to Jenny, "Well, because of the act that was passed in 1800s," and he just goes on and on and on and on in this diatribe, and it's just absolutely fantastic because it's like it's all stuff that would wash over a child's head, but it's absolutely like I love the way that it plays with that that kind of formula. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's yeah, really and then um, you can like feel the kind of acidity and anger in it like you can if you were if, it's like should we should we have a bedtime story kids should we have a bedtime story about how one town fucked the other you know <laughs> it's like <laughs> is that, that Wait, like one of my favorite pages i noted down is like towards the end of the comic there's um like the kids are outside in this you know perpetual never-ending rain having a picnic and uh, one of the adults in the story says why don't you all come inside let's all share some cake and I can't believe you're all sitting out, um, sitting out here having a picnic. Don't in even this notice weather. it. And one, one, yeah, the girl goes, "I know what you mean, but it's been raining so long that I barely notice it these days." And then the next page is just like a full page of every single character really blankly going, "Ha ha 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 ha!" Like <laughs> it's it's funny, but it's not funny. Like you're just ignoring the state yeah. of the world around you. Like there's some really like the thing, the thing that I was mistaken about at first where i was saying i was drawn away from the form is actually the thing that gives it so much um depth i think like in its simplicity it means you can draw these different connections because there's like harsher edges to like clunk against each other and like fit the pieces together and i think like there's so many little choices that have so much more meaning because everything else is so stark or bare like how everybody is either a, a you know a a doppelganger child because like there's um the children who live in pennyworth and then there's the children who come over from brook falls because we haven't spoken about that how the the first characters we see from brook falls yeah. come over are a, a pair of children who look identical to the children from pennyworth like literally identical it's the same yeah. rubber stamp being used yeah. to draw those children but instead of being uh blue they're red or is it the way around i can't remember um and like i forgot where i was going with that <laughs> Yeah, and then so like uh, like one of the one of the characters, um, who one of the only characters who doesn't represent like one of these uh, pictograms of a kid or an adult or like you know a foppish fifties or forties uh, mayor coming over from the other town is like there's just a shopkeeper who's a skeleton, <laughs> and like I I like and like I don't want to be too glib about that because I'm I'm sure there's meaning behind it than just being um, because he's like, old. <laughs> I don't know, goofy for the sake of goofy. Yeah, maybe because he's old or because he, like, represents something arcade. That's what I got okay. from like, it. Like, I feel the like old a, shopkeeper. Uh, he's an old man. Mm. These kids, like, maybe we're seeing him through the kids' eyes because these kids are young kids. Maybe they see him as a skeleton because he's old, you know. Like, I don't know. Mm. But. But, but, but there's also a thing of, like, where does the shopkeeper get his supplies from? And there's this um, under undercurrent of, like, you've got an aeroplane dropping supplies off to the town stuck in the valley below. Um, and then you've got one of the kids saying, oh, isn't it exciting to be living in such, like, what does he say? Um, I can't remember exactly what he says. Isn't it rather exciting? It's rather, it's rather exciting, isn't it? Being caught in the midst of a crisis like this and like just the obliviousness or like the privilege it takes to be somebody who just gets to watch aid being given to people in need. And like the, and then on a slightly parallel track is this shopkeeper saying, oh yeah, we have boats. Like we've got our goods being delivered to to us by boats. Like there are these resources available and there's a skeleton like peddling it out to, to the town. Like, and it's, it's funny because the colors are very, 
I was going to say black and white, but like red and yeah. blue, but you know what I mean. They're very yeah. contrasting. But actually, there's a lot of shades of grey in these characters and their like their mm. tribalism. And I feel like I've I've not had enough time to read through this, and I I feel like there's a lot to pick up. Oh yeah, here, um, like from a in a very like um, like you know if you're back at school yeah. and. Uh, you were trying to pick out the themes and the metaphors and stuff. I think, I think there's there's. I a think lot every time you flick through it, you, you can peel back another layer and you can find something else. There's mm. there's a lot more in there, but like I, so I'm going to talk about like the style of the art, and like sure. I I loved the I actually really liked the style. I liked the cleanness and the uniformness of the rubber stamps, and then the stark. Oh, to be fair, I. I yeah. did eventually. I think I was just... It was only the first, like, ten pages. I was like, what am I getting and into? I just love the yeah. starkness of the space that they occupy as well. Like, the simplicity of it. Mm. And, and with the dialogue and the art, it really gives it that unique quality and it adds to the humour. And it does actually drive the mm. knife that much deeper between the ribs of what it's getting at. And it... Yeah. It, it, it's a surprisingly funny yeah. book, right? Because, <laughs> like... Um, like, like I think I said earlier, like grimly hilarious because, like we, was, we were talking about, like the flip flop between that childish tone and then the like the long running diatribe. Like there is a lot of comedy in in that contrast. Um, but yeah, so yeah, and it's it's just like the the kind of like the oh well of it all, and and mm, like yeah, it, it's just how the, like you were saying before how we're dealing with the rain going on as if nothing had happened. The oh well of it all, and how deeply terribly tragically british it all is yeah it's very middle class british as well right (laughs) like it's uh it's talking about these um these traumas that are affecting this town but only really focusing on like three people being affected by it and none of them represent no exactly yeah you know what i mean like yeah it's just and and look at where this attitude gets us look up from this book now you're done like just look up look at where this attitude gets us look at it look where we are <laughs> because of this oh well it'll work out in the end british attitude like this this just just plod along as if nothing happens stiff up a lip and all that i mean it, it is funny that this was i'm assuming it was written pre-covid um because it it was released a few yeah. months ago yeah. if i'm not mistaken um yes yeah, so i'm assuming he wrote it pre-covid but it is it, it I mean, so many things are more prescient now than we realise, yeah. you know what I mean? Because, uh, like, talking about a story about towns where some are doing better than others and being left to their own devices is a very COVID <laughs> thing is, to be yeah, talking Yeah, it about, is, it know? is. Yeah. But yeah, um, so I actually, I, I, can, I can fully recommend this book. I can say that it's a, it's, a great, it's a great read and there's a lot to it. And every time you pick it up, you'll find something else. I mean, it's very, it, it's, again, it's, it's something that's, because um, this is like the second show in a row where we've had something quite experimental um, uh, in its form. And I, I really dig it. I, I like, I like all these, you know, like there's, there's so many different, like this is the, the endless potential of comics and the endless potential of sequential art being illustrated right here in, in the myriad different forms and things that we get to talk about on this show. And this is the kind of thing I enjoy. So like seeing different ways of doing things and seeing how people effectively use different ways of doing things and different ways of illustrating ideas and stories to their, to, to, to great effect and, and seeing them illustrate different actions in different ways and things like that. This is, this is like the joy of it for me. Mm. Yeah, I have to agree. Like, I think my initial pushback was I've seen, I, I've read enough comics now uh, and, like, experienced a whole breadth of different types of comics to see 
how when I see something that's this stark and also this wordy, like this lo-fi, but also very verbose, I get this gut feeling like I'm going to be bored by it. I feel like I'm going to be lectured. But actually, in this case, I feel like it it works yeah. really well. And like I was I was never not either entertained or learning something or like reinterpreting something mm. on the page. Um, and I think that's 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 the danger, I think, sometimes of having of it being so stark that it just gives this initial impression of like not having yeah. so much content. But like I was I'm going to put my hands up and say I was 100 percent wrong with my gut and, feeling on this. And it really yeah, and what, what really helps with it as well is that it's it is literally like a bedtime story. It is the length of a bedtime story. It's 70 odd pages long. Mm. yeah, yeah and it's <laughs> it yeah and, and it because yeah. it's it's got it, it's contained within this bedtime story form and it, it's like it, it that that kind of like helps to say it a little as well it's, it's great but yeah that is the flood that did come and that is by patrick ray and that is available uh from avery hill publishing so you should go check that out it's very good uh, if you want the you are well averyhillpublishing.bigcartel.com is where you can kind of view everything that they've got going on there at the moment and they've got some great stuff on there so check it out some really interesting comics interesting looking stuff uh, comics sequential art graphic novels um, next one on the list is one that I picked out which is something that I've been excited about for quite a while because I've been seeing a lot of buzz about it on um, the tweeter and uh, other places the the you know the the various medias that we interact with socially um this is crossover number one this is published by image comics so first things first uh i will give you blurb and credits so credits for crossover number one it is written by donny cates the artist is uh jeff shaw we have Colours by D. Cunniff and um, Lettering and Design by John J. Hill. Um, so I'll just give you the, give you the uh, well, what they've got written on the official image site is, um, it's quite short actually. And it's, it's, um, it's full of quote, create, it's got to, got to create a quote right in there, full center. So a flat out fantastic read, says Scott Snyder, the creative powerhouse behind the best-selling, critically acclaimed God Country and Thanos Wins and Redneck Returns for the biggest launch of the year. Imagine everything you thought was fantasy was real, and now join us in a world where reality is dead and anything is possible. So that is that is the uh, blurb from the official image site, which I don't think really sells what's going on in this book as well as it should. I don't know how you feel about that, hmm. Ray. <sighs> <laughs> I don't know. Like, I actually didn't pay attention to the blurb before I yeah. read this book. I was just sold on the strength yes. of the cover. Um, and I, I, I'm, I, I'm wondering where you're going to go with this. Yeah. But I'm somewhat lukewarm so on this book. In so this far. cover, we've got a kid opening a comic book, uh, surrounded by action figures and toys. One of which looks suspiciously close to um, the old TMNT Technodrome toy. <laughs> kind of just like popping off next to a pile of books i might be wrong it could be you know but it just i don't know for me it just evokes the image of the technodrome like the bulb of the technodrome um and he's opening the book and these bright lights and electrics coming out of the book and it's melting his face off which is how it feels when you're a 10 year old kid reading something absolutely radical <laughs> um and they've encapsulated that perfectly in the cover of this comic and uh yeah i love it for that um 
so he's getting his first his face bent, burnt off by this rainbow um and uh, yeah so it's a comic about well sorry before you go on like the the thing that really sold me on this one it's super technicolor which i always love and two it's like the kid is reading the comic we've got in our yeah. hands like he's reading crossover yeah. and it's blowing his mind because he's yeah. reading crossover and he's reading like it's it goes down into itself it's a, a very cool concept and like just he's super yeah vibrant and kind of violent as well because it like it's exposing like his yeah. skull it's like tearing the flesh away from him i don't um, i don't know how many and... times you've ever opened a comic and been raiders of the last uh, lost ark but like <laughs> never but i kind of like it makes makes me wish i ever had been like we've talked yeah. about this how like the 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 call of the void or like the, yeah. the the appeal of the cthulhu thing where it's like you kind of want something to drive you mad like you want it to be so intense and like outside of your experience that it drives yeah. you crazy and like we're always disappointed because nothing ever lives up to the concept I mean, of it. I've had, you know what I've mean? had like, times well, where I've read yeah. a comic, like I've sat and read a comic, and I've opened the comic, and it has absolutely melted my face off. Like I've been that into it, like into what's going on, <laughs> and then like I've gone downstairs yeah. with just my bare skull showing, and I've been like, oh, this can't, you know, and then Sophie <laughs> just kind of like looks around from Netflix and goes, oh, that's that's great, yeah, <laughs> and I'm there with no. And then all your flesh yeah, reabsorbs. I've got, I've got back no face, and there's like, like back down to reality. From the bones, you know, and it's like it's yeah. <laughs> I just, I get I get really excited about stuff, and sometimes I find it hard to articulate that excitement, and that's where this podcast came from. So <laughs> <laughs> go figure. But yeah, this is this is a book for mm. me about the sheer joy of comics. It's a comic about the sheer joy of comics, and it's a comic about enjoying comics and about the philosophy of comics and about all the other things that are going on with comics, like um, things that have happened with comics in the past, like this is comic. It's about censorship of comics. It's about the industry. It's about attitudes towards comics and the industry from the outside. Um, the book is at its core, a celebration of comics as we know them. And the mythologies mm -hmm. contained within those magazines and books. So, for me it kind of like it's it's what it means to be a comic fan and what that what comics mean to different people within these pages so it's it's super meta in that way as it is a comic about comics in 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 that it encapsulates all of those feelings i guess i don't know, do, you, do you get anything close uh, to that I, from I, it or? <laughs> again as with the flood that did come i don't think i want to be quite as speaking in ink yeah um but like i see where you're coming from um but i also feel like it's i don't want to declare what the comic is because i don't think we've got enough to say what it is and that's why i say i'm lukewarm on it as opposed to like cold on it because i think i like the the concept of the story i like the idea of like um you know real world comic icons being brought into our world and the disaster that occurs and like it's an interesting um setup yeah. for a story what I was a little bit like, yeah, the thing that I'm bristling against is that it puts the fan in the role of the oppressed. And that's like, it, it feels like a very outdated story about nerds being mistreated in some ways. You know, it kind of gave me this vibe of like the things that I don't like about the Big Bang Theory or Ready Player One, where like, you know, we're not we're not that underfoot anymore and certainly not relative to actual like demographics who are underfoot and misrepresented and mistreated you know like it's it's i feel like it's doing this thing where it's treating it's almost uh like um 
hang on, while I'm trying to find the words, like persecution porn. Like it wants to put the comic book fan in the position of being persecuted and to be able to call them an underclass. Like that's the machinations of the plot causing that. And we get like um, images of uh, like a fundamentalist Christian, you know, uh, what previously would have been gay bashing because like they are uh, either recycling in world or like the story is recycling. And I'm not sure which is which or whether, you know, the definition even matters, but they're using terms like God hates masks, which, you know, they're just replacing the F word with masks. And I don't know how much I like that kind of recycling of real-world trauma. And maybe I'm reading too deep into it. And also maybe I'm not giving the writers enough credit about where they're going to go with it eventually. But, like, it's not just the co-opting of this iconography, but it's also, like, in this story where superheroes have actually manifest and, you know, happen to have killed... A huge amount of the population of Colorado like we don't get the details like this starts after the event it starts after the crossover and we don't really get to see the full repercussions of that event but like the church goers these fundamentalist Christians are shouting and like protesting outside the last comic book shop and they're not necessarily wrong this time like where they where you'd normally see that happening outside of like an abortion clinic or you know whatever other awful thing they're trying to protest in this instance, these comic book characters are murdering people. Like, they are... Like, I don't know. It's just a... It's a weird crossover of things that I don't like. I just I just don't think I like how they're doing that. Like, they have... Th- these these churchgoers, they have, like, a real-world, month-long violent justification for their panic and fear-mongering. And, like, basically, in this world, comics are actually as dangerous as they have been professed to have been in the past. You know, like you talk about satanic panic a lot and stuff. Like in this in this world, it's actually true. And like, I, I want to know what they're going to do with it before I commit myself to yeah. saying this is a good idea or not. Um, well, I'm just, I'm just wary of it, you know. And yeah. it doesn't help that things like they're, they're kind of two-siding stuff where like there's a comic book shop owner and he's basically a bit of a dickhead as well. You know, like he's... I mean, do you want to do you want to speak to that? Because he's wearing a T-shirt called that says Wortham was right on it, and that's a reference, as far as I know, to Frederick Wortham, who was a psychologist yeah. who was the yeah. the guy who uh, pushed for like was it the Comics Seal of Approval, like basically censorship um, of comics, right? Is that comics the... Comics Code? Yeah, he led to the formation of the Comics Code right, Authority, right. which is like a which was a self governing thing within comics. Mm. Um, and it was formed in 1954, and it was because of his book, Seduction of the Innocent, where he basically Mm. says that comic books are corrupting the youth and turning everybody into petty criminals and whatever else, and Mm. he was, you know, a stick in the mud, basically. (laughs) But, uh, But like, I I just, I find it weird that it's trying to make that, like, a real case so that we, we as comic book fans, who aren't actually that underfoot anymore, like, comics are the biggest... Um, yeah. source of inspiration for like the biggest drivers in Hollywood right now you know like we, yeah. we're not that underclass anymore so but I think I it's it, mm. I, I didn't really see it that way in this book like I, I mean I get what you're saying I can see it from that angle but I don't feel like that's what it's doing but I don't feel like it's a celebration then either like I don't think it's celebrating being a comic book fan I feel like it's very 
uh, I, again, using a word I've used a bunch of times this this episode, but like tribal in in a weird way. And like I understand that they they're playing on the two different sides of like the extreme. And like our lead character L, who we haven't really spoken about yet, but like she's sort yeah. of in the middle, and she has this very <laughs> a sort of centrist motto of like, can we just be nice to everyone? And like I just don't know where it's going in the context of yeah. our real world. And like I I want to read more issues before I can declare yeah. declare how I feel about this. So, like, I mean, for me, it's like the idea of the crossover event. So this summer comics event that happens and it brings together characters and unifies them and it gives you the sense that all this exists in a shared universe. And what they've done is they've mm. taken that and they've brought it into the real world. Like it's come crashing out of the page into the real world. So it's a crossover within a crossover. But it's not only that type of crossover that's happening. You've got... Um, like so so in in these crossovers these crossover events in comics it's like this this face melting excitement the new mythologies and legends that are born from the pages and changes wrought upon the very foundations of characters you love are born within this type of event which is why it's such a big thing and why it's something that i guess as a kid growing up the things that would happen in these pages would be kind of passed around school like secret knowledge kind of thing it's like it's like people would say oh did you know wolverine's claws are made of this because like you know like if if say for instance like x character had something happen to them and lost an eye then it would be like oh that character only has one eye now because this happened and this happened and the kid that knew that everyone would be like whoa you know <laughs> yeah um and it's like at least some of the kids i knew anyway and this book kind of like captures that and sets it in a bubble in a world that embodies the, embodies the spirit and zeitgeist of the 1950s attitude towards comics. And what I'm seeing, what I'm thinking it, it, is going on here is that what was happening in the 50s with comics never stopped happening. And this bubble, this, this thing that happened in Colorado has just given them another push. Um, I mean, it's set in 2017, though. Like, I don't know. I, I think yeah. you're reading into the idea that the attitude of the 50s is extended for an extra 70 years is what you're saying and now it just happens to be relevant right yeah i i don't yeah. know if i agree with that although i mean maybe it is going to go there and it's going to explain that in a next in the next few issues or something but yeah yeah so there's this huge summer crossover and crossing over into our time bringing about what happens to be what appears to be like a resurgence in the ideas of frederick wortham or maybe those ideas never left and coupling them with today's most ardent religious right-wing fear of free thinking and art Mm. people like these these people um and i just like i don't know like for me it's i think the reason that they've done it that way is so that they can lay out some hypocrisy like the mm. sheer hypocrisy of people who i who adhere to the ideas and teachings taken from a book in blind faith with no concrete proof of whether or not that is fictional i'm not saying it is but i'm not saying it isn't either and, and, and but that's socially acceptable. And then they're calling out people for believing in the art and stories, the myths and legends of comic books. Um, and saying that one is an affront to the other. Um, and that that kind of like, I don't know. It's not I, I, I see what you're coming at with the, the kind of like the whole thing where it's like, you know, nerds underfoot, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't I don't feel like it was doing that. Like, I know it was doing that, but I don't feel like it was doing that intentionally in the same way that things like you mentioned, Big Bang Theory, etc., etc., do. 
I mean, I there, there are a few lines where, like, Elsa says, this is the only home a lot of us have left, where, like, implying that it's their version of a church or something. Like, I... Hmm. Yeah. And, I mean, it, it's it's a layering of a few different things that make me feel mm. a bit uncomfortable. But, like, if, if we want to look past that, because, like, putting politics yeah. in our comic books, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I can't believe I just said that out loud. Um, but, like, the, 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 the concept I, I really yeah. like, and, like, we haven't really talked about the art, and, like, there's... um there's a really interesting thing going on about how they represent quote unquote, the real world, like our world, the world that the comic book characters have come into and how they represent the characters that have come from the comic books. And like you were saying, it's crossovers within crossovers and like, yeah, all the characters are um, represented with, Oh God, the term's gone out of my head. Is it Ben, Ben day dots? Is that, hang on, give me a second to Google this. It's dot matrix printing type thing, isn't it? But I can't remember. I can't remember the term of it, and and this is like shocking because no, I yeah, yeah, yeah. This. It's it's the Bende process, which the is Bende like process, the um, yes, the the prototypical sort of like dotted uh, yeah technique you see in old comic books, and like oh god, who's the the art? Uh, Lichtenstein does very famous paintings with this with this process, or like showing this process, yeah. and like all of the characters who have come in from the comic books are shown this way, and there's this one very prominent character, and like. Um, you see how the people, like quote unquote, real people, react when they see, yeah, like what they think is a super, like what we would call a, you know, a super or a comic book character, and like I thought that was really interesting. I think the, I think the comic book sort of betrays how vibrant the story actually, or like how vibrant yeah. the comic actually is. I think it isn't as technicolor as the cover, although I hope that it will go there eventually because it kind of. Mm it spools off into the opening of the comic. So like, it's almost yeah. as though the cover is the inciting incident where like you, it starts off with a kid reading a comic and yeah. the comic is in this Technicolor Ben Day dot style yeah. and everything around him and including his hands and everything is in like black and white implying the fifties. I thought there was a bit of a fifties, sixties vibe there as well. And yeah. then it's almost like, um, like all the color explodes out of the comic from the the cover mm. and then infects the world like it's it's explicitly yeah. called a virus like they're spreading through colorado mm. and then you get this huge splash page of like this um this massive explosion of color and literal explosion i thought that was really cool and then it never quite goes back there but i'm hoping it will in the future cause... maybe maybe mm. this is more commentary on what has been than what is now i don't know but mm. Yeah, um, it's like the the thing the the thing that really got me as well is, is these people these these uh, Christian fundamentalists like saying that these comic books are an affront to God and and that you know they they shouldn't be you know the the only true word is the word of God when there's actual physical proof <laughs> right there in Colorado <laughs> of existing comic characters, but where's your physical proof for your Bible? You know, it's like. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm not going to go there, but I do feel like I do feel like the awful fundamental fear-mongering Christian group are somewhat justified <laughs> to be annoyed about all the comic well, yeah, characters coming it, out and murdering some, a town like dangerous stuff going on, but yeah. that doesn't mean that we still can't read comics, I guess. I don't know, does it? I don't know. I well, that, look, that's I'm an interesting, biased. I'm, I'm incredibly biased. <laughs> yeah, fair. I do think there's an interesting point here about like the the kind of comics that are vilified or not like there's there's uh, an aspect where 
like new comics are still coming out even after this event occurred yeah. but the comic book shop owner is you know claiming their government fueled propaganda and he only will accept or sell like pre-cataclysm comics like yeah, things yeah. that were that are now being um censored or burned and like I, I don't think it's really saying much yet about that like i don't i don't know what its point is yet yeah. um so i'm gonna give it a chance i think but i just i want to know what his i want to know what the uh the the, the theme is so far yeah, i don't I think it's know. declared very upfront yet I don't know what the deal is and I think we'll find yeah. out when we read more of it and I think that's it, it, the whole thing with it being a, a, an issue one yeah um, this which is, is a thing. one of the it's one of the most issue ones I've ever felt like I just yeah. I can't trust it yet <laughs> you know like I need I need yeah. way more before I can say whether I can um, recommend it or not yeah it's, it's like the kind of like the myths it, it's it's the feeling I get when I open a comic illustrated right there. It's, it's like, so with the art, this is, I'm talking about now, because you were talking about like the black and white thing and the color thing, like color mm. within the black and white. So that's exactly how I would feel as a kid. Like when I open a comic book and you get that color bleeding out, exploding into the real world, into the boring black and white world, <laughs> your you little bit of escape from it, which is the comic, like the sheer power of comics right there in those panels mm. and the difference with the people of the comics looking like the printed paper. Yeah. It, I think that's pretty cool. I, I thought that was pretty inspired. And also the, the girl's name L is short for ellipses, mm. <laughs> which I, I love. Um, it's very poetic, but kind of wanky. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, cause she does say okay, like, yeah, uh, or yeah, the, okay. the narrator of the story, which I initially yeah. thought was her talking about herself, but it can't be because it talks about Ellie or L ellipses in the third person. But like, yeah, her parents were writers and they thought it sounded heroic, like some kind of Greek hero or something. Ellipses. Um, yeah, those three little dots, yeah. uh, which, what is it? They can become anything, which I think is a, it is quite a nice poetic ideal, but it's a weird name for a kid. I think. Yeah, yeah. It's probably going to result in some, some bullying, but, you know. I think I actually think it's a cool name, Ellipses, actually. I quite like it. Hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, so... I guess that is uh, that is crossover number one, and um, read it yourself and form your own opinion. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can su- I can super yeah. recommend the art. I think it's got some yeah. stunning pages in it. Like even just to see w- what we're conflicted about is is has some value. I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it as I thought it was cool as a comic celebration of comics. Like it, mm. it does that for me. Mm. But I can I can see the the things that you're wary of. Rahul, I can, I, mm. you point them out to me and now I can't not see them. So yeah, I get it. I get where you're coming from with that. And I get why it could be potentially, you know, something that is a little bit, but yeah, I, I get it. And uh, yeah, so I, I can recommend it if, if, you know, you want to check out some cool art and things like that. And uh, if you, if you want to wait a few issues and then pick up like the first four or something just to see where it goes. So you have more to hang on to than we did. I guess that might be a good idea with this one. And just to be clear, if we were living in like regular times where I was allowed to go to a comic book shop, I would have bought this on the strength of the cover alone. So yes, like I'm yes. not, I'm not saying it doesn't <laughs> deserve to be bought. Feel feel like yeah. we all would, wouldn't we? Yeah, it's um, gorgeous. Yeah. So this next one's yours, Ray. You want to take it away? 
yeah, so I wanted to talk about the Bloodborne comics. So I don't know if I mentioned back in... So I was checking my achievements on my PS4 um, for Bloodborne because I recently... Uh, basically, I'm, I'm very close to platinuming the game, which I do very, very rarely, and I never thought I would accomplish that with a, with a Souls-like. Um, but with some help from my friends and with you know a lot of persistence and a lot of time, finally got there. It's been six months of playing this game, um, approximately 50 hours. Never thought I would enjoy it this much, and now I'm kind of clamoring for more Bloodborne content, which I didn't think I would. Which is actually... A bit dumb of me because everything else apart from maybe the gameplay uh, as i ex- understood it a year ago totally works in my favor like i love the cthulhu mythos i love this sort of like gothic horror setting that it's in um and so much of it is like really uh i, I don't know just totally my sort of dark gothic horror creepy alien thing except for the fact that it's in a game like if this was a movie I would have been all into it. I can, I can, I can watch horror movies without being freaked out. I, I love horror books. I love horror movies. I love horror comics. The fact that it was a game and I had to play through it is the hesitance. So now that I've gone through the game, I was looking for more content, and I remembered that there were these Bloodborne comics, and I, I was. There's a couple of different things going on with this. It's more like the Bloodborne game story is oblique to begin with. Like it's not. It doesn't really tell you much up front, even like your initial goals and what you're what you're trying to accomplish to hit the next milestone is not ever like explicitly stated to you in, in you know the, the standard video game way. So the story itself is also kind of oblique, and so I was wondering how would how would the story of Bloodborne be represented in a comic in some sort of like linear sequential art narrative where like the protagonist of the game is silent and is basically manifest through their actions and i'm pleasantly surprised by this where it, it it's not a rehashing of what is happening in the game that you play it's more an a version of that somebody may have played in a past version of the game because like i don't know if you know much about souls likes but a lot of it is about repetition and the consequences of death when you're constantly reborn and asked to, you know, to persist through a trial. And I kind of like where this comic goes. I feel like it's set in the past. I don't know enough about the, the Bloodborne mythos yet. Anyway, I came to this comic to discover more about the Bloodborne mythos. And there's like loads of videos on YouTube I could be watching. And there's, you know, a couple of uh, novellas that fans have written and stuff, which I'm halfway through right now. But what I like about this comic is, A... It represents the mood really well, like it has the tone of that gothic horror, like just down to a down to a T. Um, secondly, it has all of the like the joyful recognition, like we were just talking about in the previous comic, where like I recognize all the, the outfits, I recognize what part of the world in the game you know is being portrayed right now. I recognize the enemies, I recognize the the hat the protagonist is wearing, I recognize the weapons and stuff, and that's all quite giddying i think because they've put a lot of effort into like you can tell the people who made this um uh, who i haven't mentioned actually i should i'll say that now uh written by alice cott artwork by piotr uh kowalski colors by brad simpson lettering by aditya bidikar and it is a hang on it's a titan comic book um yes you can tell that the creative team behind this really know bloodborne 
and or they've been given a lot of like the background information in of the world which is like always really hidden and requires like the players to to dive in and find because it's it's not always explicitly out there although i think with bloodborne a lot of it can be found in the the strategy guide as far as you know from what i've been told and what i've been reading about on reddit and stuff but anyway it gives it gave me all of this and it also gave me a new story where you're viewing a protagonist that isn't doesn't have the same goals as the player character that you play as in the game and I don't know. I, I think I'm going to leave it there because, like, it's all going to be gibberish to anyone anyway, regardless of whether you play the game or not. But what I'm really curious about, Greg, is I didn't expect you to read this, um, but you did, or you read the first few issues. Yeah. And yeah. what I want to know is, like, how much sense does it make to you as a person who hasn't played the game? Like, um, it's not gibberish. <laughs> like you're sitting there saying it's gibberish to anyone who's not played the game but it's not it, it kind of makes sense to me um and i i i've never played the game and i think number one first of all ex the, the like the first comic like issue one illustrates exactly excels in illustrating exactly what it is that puts me off about this type of game <laughs> <laughs> well because yeah it does it um, really sets the scene it establishes the yeah. gameplay loop and then how this can also be a narrative loop and establishes a goal different to the game, which is uh, yeah. seeking pale blood to transcend the hunt. Which that sentence in and of itself, is, it like doesn't mean anything. And even if you've played the game, like it's still, it's still unclear what the machinations of that means. And that's, yeah. maybe that's because I haven't. I played the game through once, and I've not read all the ancillary material. But like it still is a mystery to me, in I'm, in, I'm... in a lot of ways. I'm hoping I'll find that out by reading the comic. I'm hoping that's what the, the draw and the hook is with the mm. book because i'm what i want to get from this is to be able to experience bloodborne without having to play bloodborne <laughs> so <laughs> it's like i want to i want to like i want to read the comic and enjoy it in a form that i can digest mm. which is comics because i'm not i like video games but video games that require as much like things like Bloodborne and, and Dark Souls and things, as much as I'd love to be able to sit there and do it and play it, I just haven't got the the mental fortitude or the energy for that. Like, I yeah, I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you you're wrong because, like, yeah. I mean, a part of it is I I also had that mentality, and I don't really want to dive too deep into the game. But like, if I can do it, you can do it, kind of thing. So I'd I'd maybe at some point urge you to give it a try. But what I will say is, I don't think you're going to get the game experience by reading this. But what I think you will get, and what I think it does really well, is not just show off the settings. And, like, the world of Bloodborne is a character in and of itself, as well yeah. as the players that happen in it. Because it's a very lore-driven, mythology-driven, like, uh, universe. Um, but what I think it does is show these stages and these arenas and these landscapes without it just being like the member berries thing it's not like do you remember this area do you remember um yeah the cathedral ward do you remember the the fishing hamlet it's i think you as a newcomer you'll see these things and not you won't know the reference but i think it does a good job demonstrating the yeah. like the the mood you get when you walk into those environments for the first time like yeah. um 
It's like to quickly rattle off what happens, like number one, issue number one establishes the loop. Number two establishes that it's a different plot from the game. Like what if Bloodborne was an escort mission? And thank God it's not. But like that's that's what this is getting at. You're transporting a pale blood child from one part of the universe, one part of the world to another. And then in number three, it becomes like a wandering epic. And it reminded me a lot of like the empty landscapes in like... Um, that T.S. Eliot poem, which the name escapes me right now, but like they leave Yarnum, which is the setting of the game, and they're on their way to somewhere else to accomplish something else. And then in number four, you go back to a familiar location from uh, actually the, the game's DLC. And like it's an expression of a humanity that you can't really express in the game as the player. And mm. one thing I really liked about issue number four is there's an opportunity for Aditya Vidikar to flex his is lettering muscles because like there's a really wonderful handwritten note in luxurious fountain pen script like his work in the savage shores which i wanted to shout out but like yeah i feel like there's a lot of tonal joy to be gotten from this even if you don't yeah. like the game so like were there any standout um characters monsters settings that you liked and like i'd be curious to see what stuck out to you um i don't know the names of the monsters um but i thought they were all pretty cool looking like the designs and things and like the, i really dig the world and the horror setting and i like the kind of like 17th century macabre etching quality that the art has mm. like it, it's like like etchings from the, the like the 1600s or whatever and it just it just lots of hatching and fine lines and it just it kind of fits with the world that they're in mm. and the way they're described it for me it's kind of like what I'm getting from from what I've read so far is what if the apocalypse happened in the 1600s and like the last bastion of humanity as it were may well be the hunters and this is just like how they survive now in a world that is overrun by demons where the, the hell has come to reclaim the earth. Hmm. I don't know. You're not, um, you're not far off and one of the things that surprised me about the game is that there are more players, like, more more in-universe players, not, like, game players, but, like, uh, actors in the game than I initially realised. And there's, mm. it's a lot more of a complex, overlapping, like, different people with different agendas than I initially realised. And, like, I'm beginning to understand that from some of the ancillary material and whatever. Yeah. And, like, I really hope you get to enjoy that sensation of, like, the layering of different different agendas that's, and everyone's different thing that they're trying to achieve that's what i want i want to experience yeah. this this story in this world without having to struggle through the souls born formula mm. um that's, I, that's, that's why i really I hope it. yeah i really hope you're going to get that like i we've only yeah both of us have only read issues one to four yeah um, and yeah i'm going to continue with this like the thing the mutterings i'd heard about this comic is that it doesn't live up to the game and like I wonder if that's just a very trite comment on, like, it's not a game, it's a comic. Like, you know what I mean? Of course yeah, it's not yeah. going to live up to yeah. the game. And the game is held on a really high pedestal to begin with anyway. But I'm I'm quite impressed at how much of, at least the tonal stuff, gets translated. And part of the mystery of the game, where, like, the game doesn't tell you, you know, the reasons for why things are in the state they are a lot of the time... And I feel like the fact that it just drops you into the story in the comic mm. is kind of emulating the same thing. Like you don't you don't know what these environments are, and you don't yeah. need to know because you're not the one navigating them. You don't need to figure your way out through exactly you know Old Yarnum and the Hunter's Dream and all this stuff that I know that you don't. But 
that that mystery is preserved because it's not explained to you and i think yeah. that's i think that's kind of cool so i think there's something for everyone really mm. and i think yeah I, I think you're right i did it a bit of a disservice by mm. calling it gibberish i think i was trying to take a shortcut yeah. to like how it and feels it, but yeah it does this really cool thing um with the the hunter as well it, it's mm. an interesting use of the in-game like player avatar dynamic thing mm. that you would get and um in the way that it i i i thought that was fairly interesting i want to explore that more yeah i mean the hunter in the comic basically is dressed the same way as my hunter in the game so yeah also but, that weapon is super cool which i never used yes but, yeah yes um it's like a straight edge razor <laughs> serrated yeah. straight edge razor which again lends to this kind of like 16 1700s vibe it has going for it because you've got like this this kind of like this character dressed like a highwayman mm. carrying a straight edge razor is he gonna turn me into a pie <laughs> i you mean there's a, there's a lot of interesting stuff that like contrasting to dark souls which had a very medieval knights in shining armor kind of yeah uh at least a uh, seed of an idea like you know the, mm. the armor thing and the game does eventually go into showing how there's a reason why people aren't wearing plate armor in this universe and it's because it doesn't help you combat the beasts when you can't fucking move um yeah and like the, the bloodborne game is a lot more dynamic than the dark souls games were you know there's there's a lot more emphasis on um parrying and dodging and stuff whereas dark souls is about blocking and rolling and whatever and like i think that's expressed really well in the the character designs and the clothing and stuff and i think that inherently translates well into the comic because mm. you know like you were saying the the outfits and the the types of weapons are so um disarming or like so off kilter like it makes you wonder why they why they're they're not more traditional to begin with and one of the things i think the comic doesn't really go out of its way to show but it does show it is that each weapon has two different states you have like a and you have a state one and a state two where one tends to be quicker and like lighter attacks and one is a heavier or a stronger attack and like the weapon itself physically changes so like the yeah i think i think it's called the beast saw uh in the 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 hunters holding in the game in the in the comic like like you said it's like a switchblade it switches out from a folded position to an unfolded position it's, and it's like, like a sh- straight edge shaving razor as you said yeah and like yeah. each every single weapon in the game has that property to it it has like two yeah. different states i really want to see how they use that later on in this comic i really hope they do because but be i funky. i i like that it's like the straight edge shaving razor. i don't know why it, i just I, if this hunter character were a boss character in any other game or, or, or property and they were carrying that weapon, say, for example, we saw them in House of the Dead, you just know they would be called something like Sweeney. <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. You just know. And <laughs> I think I think that's... I, I really dug that. I dug the straight-edge breezer thing. I dug the vibe, the whole vibe the comic has. These kind of, like, 16th-century plague etchings or whatever. And it's just like, yes, hit me with that, you know. Mm. well 17th century but yeah um and it just like yeah just everything about it really excites me and i just i I want to be able to enjoy it without playing the game and i think that's what i'm going to try and do so i'm going to read the rest of it i think read this book and you'll get a really good sense of the tone and emotion and maybe just seek out a good let's play where 
you have someone who's pointing out all the different things to be spotted in the environment. Like, I'll see if I can find you a good let's play of that mm. with like, yeah. Um, so friend of the show, Marvin, he's, he's normally my guy who I go to, to watch games that I don't want to play myself. So he played resident evil two for me, the remake. And like one of the things he does really like, he, he understands what I want from his performance of that game where he knows that I don't want to play through it myself, but I still want to see all the, all the stuff that makes the gaming medium so rich where like, you know, environmental storytelling and all of that. So he, he basically plays the director for a game that he knows inside out. So like he swings the camera around to the correct position to see a particular item as he's going by or make sure that the camera is focused on an enemy that you might otherwise miss like skittering past a window and stuff. And he's really good for that. And I kind of wish Marvin has had done a Bloodborne like professional playthrough kind of thing, like having played it enough to know all the ins and outs and you'd get this director's cut version of the game. Um, yeah, I I really I, I need to find somebody else who's done that, and I wish I could convince Marv to do that, it, but I know he won't. <laughs> that would be cool. Yeah. Uh, other things as well. Issue two, page twelve. Uh, let me quickly go to that. Bear with me a sec. What is it? <laughs> what What am I looking at? Or you, um, do you not want to say? It's just I don't want to say because because I don't want to spoil this for people. But I just want I just want you to see it and know what I'm talking about. Issue two, page twelve. I do know what you mean. Actually, that's one thing I, I didn't actually touch on is how the the comic is very infrequent about playing with the form of comics. Like, I think issue two has a, a few cases of this where, like, the protagonist, the hunter, is fighting a demon. And, like, what I imagine is fading in and out of consciousness slightly, where, like, yeah. the, the panels in the action are intercut with, like, just black rectangles or black rectangles with they're in a monologue happening and like i wish it did a bit more of that but at the same time i feel like it gets to luxuriate in its landscapes enough that it doesn't need to be too comic book creative um yeah but yeah that's just a mild comment i think bloodborne is (laughs) um (laughs) (laughs) that's a deep cut (laughs) yeah yeah it's a deep cut and if you get it you get it if you don't read the comic uh so that was uh bloodborne um, and I'm going to finish this cast by talking about something that got me very excited from this past two weeks. Hmm. Um, and that is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. The Last Ronin. It's finally here. We've got number one in its all its prestigious format with its hefty stock cover and glossy finish. It's like a, it's like a real magazine. Um, and this is uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. The Last Ronin. <laughs> this is written by Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird and Tom Waltz, uh, with art by Esso Escorza and Isaac Escorza. Uh, colors by Luis Antonio Delgado and uh, letters by Sean Lee. This is, yeah, just this is going to be me like mashing on about a Turtles comic for a while now. So uh, <laughs> gonna... I'll, I'll, I'll turn off. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you could. I could not let you get away without shouting about this one at least once. So um, what we've got here is we've got this distant, almost cyberpunk TMNT future, a sort of homage to all the great gritty 80s books and movies of this ilk, a TMNT DKR, if you will. DKR, Dark Knight Returns. (laughs) Um, So if I find you the official blurb for this, 
Because that's always a good place to start, isn't it? Um, it's the TMNT event of 2020, springing from the minds of TMNT co-creators. Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird comes an epic like you've never seen before. In a future New York City, far different from the one we know today, a lone surviving turtle goes on a seemingly hopeless mission to obtain justice for his fallen family and friends. Kinetic Laird, yeah. One of the most memorable uh, TMNT stories you'll ever read. Um, so it's... Yeah, it, it's brilliant. You have to check this out. Um, so yeah, this one lone turtle remains, standing tall and defiant against the foot soldiers, against the foot clan, the last stand in a battle that has waged and dragged on between two clans, guided by the voices and ghosts of his brothers. When this book opens, you don't know which turtle this is. So you don't know which turtle it is that survived. You don't know who the last Ronin is. And this book hurts. It really does tug on my heart as a TMNT fan. I can't really tell you why it hurts so much and why it has such a powerful effect on me without huge, massive spoilers. Okay. So here we go. This is where I'm telling you to switch off now if you don't want to hear this bit and if you plan to read this book. Um, but the last lone surviving turtle is Michelangelo. And it's a reveal in the book, and it just makes me sorrowful that he's so hardened and is so serious and so saddened by the loss of his brothers. Like, not the fun, loving, carefree Michelangelo that we've come to know. Like, not the idealist, the optimist that I have come to love. It, hmm. The orange bandanaed dude that has pulled me out of some dark pits when I've seen him on the page. And... I don't mind admitting, I don't mind admitting to the, the power of comics and the power that that character has had to do that. Like Mikey cheers me up. Mikey is the happy, right? Um, but seeing him like this hurts <laughs> and it's what makes the book even more intriguing to me and effective in its storytelling. It's a great device that they make Michelangelo this kind of like gritty, hardened, grizzled, remaining survivor who is like so like messed up by the loss of his brothers and things and all he wants he just wants his brothers back you can you can feel it in him mm. like he just wants his brothers back and he's actually talking to them while he's out on the mission he's talking to his brothers that aren't there like as if they are accompanying him on this mission um like he carries them with him every step of the way and it's just so sad and so cool at the same time and it has that real kind of like last hurrah final um, last the kind of like the the kind of like last hurrah final ride last mission thing going on about it like like kind of like DKR does the Dark Knight Returns where it's like mm. one last time I'll put on the cowl and I'll beat up some dudes you know it's like it's got that kind of like feeling about it and yeah it's almost as if he's never truly alone and it's like probably because he doesn't want to be alone because he's mikey and because he's the youngest and because he's the most carefree and he's he's been broken his spirit has been broken um, and they accompany him in spirit as he traverses this cyberpunk city under a, this fascistic foot clan regime um it has really strong and powerful art it's moody and it's brooding and it Yet with that, it is still full of life. Like Mikey struggles to go it alone and he does it because he has to. And seeing him prepared to commit seppuku at one point in the book and hearing him talk to his dead brother, oh man, that broke me. Oh God. It's just like, yeah. rough. <laughs> it is. Yeah. For a Mikey fan, yeah. Yeah. Um, and 
like for a TMNT fan, it's it's but it's it's a great great story. Um, I love it. I love reading it, and I, I want to see where it goes. It's it's doing that Dark Knight Returns thing. That's what it is. It's a love letter to all that kind of stuff. But so so my question on that is: Does it <laughs> does it earn it in the way that like you know in Avengers Endgame where um, Hawkeye has become Ronin and like he's that he's become that guy who shaves off his head and is like, "Don't give me hope," and that's kind of laughably <laughs> like laughably grimdark. This sounds like it's it earns it more than that. It does. Is that it right? does earn it more. Yeah, it's not. It's it's yeah. It's way way better handled than that. <laughs> okay, because there was a lot of stuff that came out after yeah. DKR, which sort of tried to jump on that grimdark yeah. sort of tone, and that was grimdark future. Yeah, yeah, and that was a you know that happened decades ago, yeah. um, and like yeah. you know things still do it, but I think that you know, people have or like creatives have pulled back a little. To not just dive so fully deep into it, and it sounds like it's like it's this, found a good balance. This kind of like it goes for a swim in the deep end of the grim dark. Okay. It it kind of it does it does strike the balance. It keeps its head above water. Okay. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's just it's just like perfect color art. It's like full of life, but the colors in the it. But it's like when you're looking at the colors in the book, it's the colors are there, but it's almost as if there's a storm cloud overhead. Hmm. and it's just like kind of like subduing it ever so slightly um and it's like has this shadow cast over it and it just works really well with the strong heavy lines and it just kind of dictates the tone of the entire book i, I love it i'm super excited about it i'm gonna get it in hardback when it drops hmm. um the comic itself as single issues is presented in this kind of like oversized magazine format with a glossy stock cover very similar oh, cool. to what we've been seeing from dc's black label stuff so it's kind of hmm. nice um, I love the presentation, this prestige format, these larger pages. They give the story more space to breathe. And it's just, it's just like, it's a turtle story. Like, am I really going to say I don't like it? Like, <laughs> no. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm flicking yeah. through, uh, so I just like Google images of, yeah. I just typed in TMNT last Ronin and like the artwork yeah. does look quite colorful in a way that like it's all dark cityscapes and stuff, but it's still vibrant. It's not just yeah. grays and blacks and browns and stuff. Like it does look... It looks exactly. interesting um, that, and like engaging. That, which that balance that it strikes is really, mm. really interesting to me. That it manages to kind of like precariously balance so well on the tightrope with mm. without falling into the full on black and white Sin City. Yeah, yeah. I like I like that it hasn't <laughs> yeah. gone there. Although I yeah. did just find a comic like I think it's a variant. It says Eastman uh, incentive cover, which yeah. is basically the Dark Knight Rises with like yeah the, the DKR homage. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. that's yeah. a little bit awkward looking to me, but <laughs> the rest of it, the rest of it's pretty great. The Dark Knight Returns homage with the lightning mm. and the you know Batman flying through the sky kind of but, thing, but yeah. but it's orange instead of like black and blue in the background, which is kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. Yeah, mm. orange for Mikey. Mm. But yeah, I wanna I wanna see where this goes, and I wanna see more of it, and I wanna see more of this grim dark future because it's intriguing to me. It makes me sad to see Mikey in this way, but it's also at times like you can tell because what Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the way these comics were born originally back in the eighties, is they were born to poke fun at things that trend things that were going. They were they were like a pastiche of Daredevil comics. If you were, if you will, because like, you know, like in the Daredevil comics at the time, you had Stick who taught Daredevil. Well, the Turtles had Splinter hmm. and you had 
the the hand, but like in this you have the foot. So it was like <laughs> I never a little bit. Up on that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was like a little bit of a send up of um of the like what was going on in comics at the time. I guess it was mm. what it was. It was like a a a a dig at that. And and I guess this is kind of like in its own way a dig at like all these kind of like grimdark future stories we get for specific characters. And it kind of like pastiches all of that a little bit and kind of like takes that and plays with it. And at the same time as being an homage to it and a love letter to it, it's also making fun of it slightly, which uh, <laughs> which I kind of love. So, yeah, um, it's uh, it's definitely in spirit. And um, I would urge you to check that out. That is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, The Last Ronin. And that wraps us up for today's comics. Um, that's it. That's all of it. So, um, again, uh yeah, uh, we're onto the we're onto the pull list, aren't we? The pull list is pretty empty this time. <laughs> We've got like three mm. books um, because it's a pretty quiet two weeks, as far as I could tell, for things that I want. I mean, obviously, if there's things out there that excite you, then obviously go and buy them. You should um, talk to your LCS about that because if if you're living in the UK right now, uh, or if you're living somewhere where it's not safe to go to your LCS. Uh, if it's not safe to be outside and in public in, with uh, rubbing shoulders with other people, which, let's face it, worldwide right now, it's not really safe, is it? Um, just, you know, like, talk to your LCS, talk about, like, op different options that different comic stores have. Um, I've seen a lot of talk about curbside drop-offs and things like that. So it's... Mm. Um, they're adapting quite well, but they need our help still. They need us to, to still be going out there and buying comics. Mm. Um, so... This week, coming 11-11, uh, 11th of November, we have uh, the Punchline Special, which is a sort of Punchline one-shot. Um, Punchline being the new character that got introduced during the Batman Joker War stuff that's been going on up to issue 100 of the ongoing Batman uh, comic, which was, uh, which was taken over by James Tynan uh, quite recently. So this is his thing. So spinning out of the pages of the Joker War comes the first solo book starring the blockbuster new character Punchline as she faces the consequences for her role in the Joker War. The story of how Alexis Kay became Punchline will take Leslie Tompkins, Harper Rowe and Cullen Rowe on a harrowing journey that reveals a fringe teenager's radicalization to the ideology of a madman. It's a terrifying tale, so big it demanded an oversized special issue. So uh, take away from that what you will but it sounds very familiar with things that might have been going on in the world right now. <laughs> uh, so there we go. Yeah, that is punchline. Um, the next thing that I've got on my list for this week is Taskmaster number one. Mm. Now, the reason I get excited about uh, Taskmaster is because I just think it's interesting that Taskmaster has his own, is getting his own kind of like, miniseries um i'm kind of i'm kind of cool with that um and um it's basically your your route into learning a little more about taskmaster before you go and watch the black widow movie when that drops um but uh taskmaster has murdered maria hill or at least that's what the whole world thinks now the greatest spies in the business are hunting him down and won't stop until taskmaster is dead or clears his own name so follow jed mckay and Alessandro Viti on a globe-spanning adventure that will send ripples through every corner of the Marvel Universe's espionage community. So this is basically like Spies of Marvel. Um, so you're going to get like um, 
spies from all across the Marvel universe, people that Black Widow ordinarily would hobnob with, so forth, so on. Like um, members of um, maybe some members of Wakanda's war dogs will pop up, that kind of stuff. You know, that's the kind of people we're looking at. And uh, Taskmaster at the at the middle of it all because he supposedly assassinated someone but didn't. So we'll see what goes on with that. And I'm interested in... Ta I like Taskmaster as a character. Um, you will have experienced Taskmaster when you've played the Spider-Man game. Uh, yeah. Ray. yeah. Yeah, that's right. And also the new Marvel Avengers game. Yes. Yeah, he's cool. He's, he's, he's a cool villain. I like, I like the idea of him. Mm. So that is Taskmaster. Um, we move on to the, the following week, which is uh, 18th of November. And... Um, we have another issue of Ice Cream Man. <laughs> Finally, Ice Cream Man issue number 21, which uh, I've been looking forward to. Um, this, uh, just on the strength of the cover alone, a ice cream in a gutter melting <laughs> into a sewer grate, making a sad face. What could this be a send-up of? I wonder. <laughs> <laughs> could it be Watchmen? <laughs> A candy-coated detective yarn with a sour centre told in a style that can best be described as the French word for black or how I like my eggs. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, it is a noir detective story, but it looks like it's going to be Watchmen flavoured. So uh, we'll see where that goes. I'm excited about that. Might talk about it next episode. Um... There was another thing as well that I found, um, which was called Sea of Sorrows, which is coming out on November the 18th as well. And this is on IDW. Um, this is a deep sea adventure with a horrific twist from the creative team behind last year's hit horror series, Road of Bones, which I may have talked about on cast. I think I did. Um, I know I definitely tweeted about it because I loved it. Um, it's an all new tale of bone chilling terror in the aftermath of the Great War. The North Atlantic is ripe for plunder by independent salvage crews. When a formal naval officer hires the SS Vagabond, he leads the ship to a sunken U-boat and a fortune in gold. Tensions mount as the crew prepares to double-cross each other, but the darkness of the ocean floor holds deeper terrors than any of them have bargained for. Plunge headfirst into the icy waters of dread with another historic tale of terror from writer Rich Duick and artist Alex Cormack. So uh, I'm fairly, fairly uh, intrigued and excited by that and... There's some really nice uh, covers, actually, for it. So playing with the black and white thing, the idea of being underwater. Some beautiful cover art. Uh, one of them is kind of like a, a old-school diving mask with a skull inside it, and then you've got this thing of these people kind of drowning or kind of floating underwater with just bubbles bubbling up, like the darkness of being underwater, uh, like the unknownness of being below the sea. Quite like that. Um... And that wraps us up for the pull list. So that has been Ace Comical's Prelude to 100. <laughs> uh, you can find us in all the usual places. You can find us at Ace Comicals on Twitter, uh, where you can at us, DM us, get involved in the conversation. If you like the sound of some of the stuff we've been talking about, tell us. Tell us if you think there's something we should be talking about on this cast. You know, bring it to our attention. Um, you can find me on Twitter under at Bato. That's B-A-T-T-O-U. Um, again, at DM, whatever. Any, you just anything you just if you, you know you agree with anything I've said, or, or you wanna you wanna talk about some of the talk about with me some of the comics that I've talked about today, um, then just 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 come and say you know come and do that. 
Um, Ray, where can we find you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Monke. That's M-O-O-N-K-E-H. And I'll also be happy to have a conversation about how Greg's wrong. So uh, yeah, you can um, you can find everything we do at www.acecomicals.com. That's kind of like the hub for all of it. And you can find us anywhere you can find podcasts. Literally, that is anywhere you can find podcasts, right? That is like Spotify, iTunes, anywhere. So uh, that is Ace Comicals over and out.